My name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and you're watching Singularity One-on-One. Singularity One-on-One is a regular feature of Singularity Weblog, where you can go and download it or listen to it for free. If you guys enjoyed this show, you can help me make it better by writing a brief review on iTunes or by simply making a donation. As always, I will be the man with the questions, and today, my guest with the answers will be Louis Rosenberg. Louis has a PhD in robotics and virtual reality, and he's also an entrepreneur, inventor, engineer, scientist, and an AI researcher. He's the founder of Immersion Corp, which went public in 1999 on the NASDAQ, and most recently, the founder of Unanimous AI, a company that aims to harness collective intelligence. So welcome to Singularity One-on-One, Louis. I'm so happy to have you on my show. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm <clears throat> I'm excited. Fantastic. So uh, let's jump right in and let me ask you, what's the best way to introduce yourself in your own words to our audience, which may not be familiar with you and your work before? Right. So um, like you said, I'm Louis Rosenberg and uh, the company that, that I recently founded is Unanimous AI. And our interest and my interest is in what we call artificial swarm intelligence, which is a, a use of collective intelligence to form an artificial intelligence. And our, our primary interest is creating an artificial intelligence that keeps people in the loop, that keeps humans as part of the process, as opposed to being entirely software, entirely machine-based. That's totally fascinating, and we will definitely go into depth into this. But before that, let me ask you this. How and why did you get interested in technology in general and artificial intelligence in particular, perhaps? Yeah, my, my interest in technology goes really uh, starts at, at people. And so when I was in, in college and in graduate school, I was really interested in human perception, uh, which is what got me interested in in virtual reality and augmented reality, uh, but also artificial intelligence. And, and all of those technologies have that one thing in common, which they're really, they're really about biological aspects of the human experience, whether you're trying to enable them or simulate them or replicate them. And so uh, I, I've always been interested in those boundaries between humans and machines, uh, how people interact with machines and, and how people interact with software and how we can use technology to, to improve how people, how people ha- uh, experience the world. So what then is your motivation and what is your main goal? Uh, so my, my real interest and in motivation for uh, what we're doing at Unanimous AI is to, to use technology to amplify human intelligence and to harness the fact that People are smart, but groups of people are even smarter. And there's, you know, there's a hundred years of research that goes back to, to the very first experiments in, in 1906 uh, by Francis Galton, where, where he looked at the wisdom of crowds. And so you, you hear this idea of wisdom of crowds. And all the way back in 1906, he did this kind of interesting experiment where he said uh, he was at a, a county fair in, in London and he uh, he asked uh, 700 
farmers to estimate the weight of an ox. And as individuals, they were wildly all over the place. But when he took the, when he took the mean of all those estimates, they were astonishingly accurate. And over the last hundred years, lots of research has shown that people, when, when, you, when you harness their, their intelligence in groups, when you combine their knowledge and wisdom and intuition, people get really smart. Groups are smart. And yet the technology for harnessing groups hadn't really changed since 1906, which was just taking the average. And so we, uh, we started looking at technology. How can, we, how can we use far more interesting, sophisticated technology? How can we leverage the fact that the world is now a networked place where people are connected and, and really create uh, a collective intelligence that's more powerful than just taking a simple average of, of numbers? That is absolutely fascinating, but uh, let me stay a little bit still at, at the kind of zoomed out level, at the macro level for, for the next couple of questions before we zoom in and dive all the way into the nitty gritty of the things. So what is your biggest dream? What is that kind of vision that drives you? What is like the final best case scenario for you that keeps you going through the difficulties, that, that makes you want to overcome anything that's on your way right so for the for the, for the technology that the technology development efforts that that we're doing my real interest is to to amplify intelligence to see if we can create if we can create a an intelligence that exceeds human abilities and do it in a way that keeps human morals human intuition human ethics human values in the loop as part of the process, as opposed to this, uh, the path that most AI research is going down, which, is create, which could lead to a superintelligence that, that does not have human values, human intuition, human morals in the loop, and might not even have interests that are aligned with our own. And so for me, the thing that really pushes me towards this direction of artificial swarm intelligence and collective intelligence is to say, you know, there is an alternative for creating enhanced intelligence that doesn't have to replace people. It can actually incorporate people. And, uh, and for me, that's a safer path. I, you know, I see the, the path of artificial, pure artificial intelligence research as kind of dangerous. It's dangerous because if it really achieves its goal, which is to, to enable an intelligence that doesn't just match human intelligence, but exceeds human intelligence, we have no reason to believe that that purely artificial intelligence will have any interests that are aligned with ours, that will behave in ways that we even understand. Uh, and so for me, can we, can we keep humans competitive <laughs> in, in the intelligence landscape? And uh, the one thing that we have are billions of us, and we're very smart as individuals, but we're even smarter in groups. And we can create technologies that allow us to, to be very smart if we can think together, make decisions together, uh, be creative together. And, uh, and the technology that we're pursuing is really aimed at, at unlocking that. That is a very beautiful and a unique vision. But the flip side of that coin of the dream is the fear. So I think you kind of touched a little bit on it, but tell us a little bit more about what is it that's your biggest fear? Is it like artificial intelligence surpassing human intelligence and being totally disconnected by it? Because that's kind of like what I 
found implied in your previous answer? Yes. So, um, I mean, to me, it's, it's a matter of time before artificial intelligence can match human intelligence and, and ultimately exceed human intelligence. Uh, I don't necessarily think it's going to happen as quickly as, as some others think. I mean, there's some who think that, that that's going to happen within the next couple decades. I think it's further out. But I do believe that the path of artificial intelligence research will ultimately get us to the point where we can create completely artificial machines that are smarter than us. Mm-hmm. And once they're smarter than us, then they don't even need us to create them. They, they can create themselves. They can improve themselves, and uh, and the they will they will leave us far behind. And uh, and and again, that's interesting and that's exciting. The problem is we have no reason to believe that they that an artificial intelligence, although being powerful, <laughs> will have sensibilities that we can even relate to or would even find us to be useful on, on in, in this world. They, you know, an artificial intelligence will have its own interests, will have its own goals, will have its own aspirations. And to think that we can control it, to think that we can, we can design into it uh, a desire to, to be benevolent to people is, um, is maybe uh, a little bit optimistic. I mean, we, we have, Technologies have a way of always getting out, getting out of our control. They always, technologies have a way of having unforeseen consequences. And I see artificial intelligence as the technology that could have uh, very profound unforeseen consequences, especially when it becomes smarter than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that fear is part of my, my interest and my desire to say, well, how can we humans get smarter ourselves? How can we pool our knowledge and our, our, uh, our creativity to be smarter together and stay competitive or even stay, always stay one, one step ahead of the pure software intelligences? So in a way, your work is aimed at mitigating and perhaps diminishing the risk uh, of AI uh, surpassing human intelligence by kind of aggregating and creating collective human intelligence to equal or compete or maybe even outmatch AI. Is that the idea? That's absolutely the case. So the case, it's, can we, you know, can we use a combination of AI technologies and, and human input to create intelligence systems that are smarter than ourselves and, and thus in basically pushing the bar further and further out for a machine to exceed us. If we can be, if we can be smarter together, if we can create a collective, a collective intelligence together that makes very smart decisions or solves really, really hard problems, but does that with people in the loop, does that in a way where when we solve hard problems, our human interests are integral to the way we solve it. When we solve hard problems, human emotions and human morality and human values are part of the solution because we're, we're part of the system. If we can create that enhanced level of intelligence together, then the bar for a purely artificial intelligence to exceed us is, has been raised. And we push out further in the future the, the place where we would potentially be uh, surpassed by complete, completely software-driven intelligence. Yeah, I, I was going to say precisely that, because what, what, you're, what it seems to me, 
what you're giving, what you're doing is pushing the goalpost forward that would eventually give us more time. But in the end of the day, the result may not be actually that different because let's say even if you aggregate the collective intelligence of eight or nine billion people, that's still a finite number that's underlined, underpinned by biology in, in some way or another. Whereas the alternative software AI, hardware AI is underpinned by Moore's law and exponential growth. And therefore, while that may give us some breathing room and more time to kind of figure things out, in the end of the day, Moore's law would beat biological uh, aggregated intelligence, it, it seems to me. Isn't that the case? It is. I mean, if... if in, in that level of abstraction, it's absolutely true that you could we can think of human collective intelligence as pushing the goalpost out. But will that will we ultimately always be overrun by a purely software uh, software intelligence? Uh, my hope and and the thing that that I you know that gives me gives me hope that that could potentially not happen is that as a as a collective intelligence, we potentially could make better decisions. We could potentially uh, make more uh, unified decisions that are in our best interest because we're actually thinking together. And if we do that, we might we might do a better job at controlling the purely software intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, and I say that in that humans have a have a hard time at making decisions that are in our best interest. You know, we create problems uh, like global warming, for example, which uh, doesn't make sense from a collective perspective. Uh, it, it's because we we have a hard time making decisions that are that really incorporate all of our knowledge and all of our intuition and all of our interests in a way that's the best for humanity itself. And and we you know we keep getting better and better at at, at doing that, but it's a challenge for us that that leads to bad decisions and and leads to technologies getting out of control. And so. My hope is that if, if we were able to create a collective intelligence uh, that is smarter than us, we, will, we might be able to make decisions that are better than the decisions we're making now and, and be able to better control the technologies we create so that they don't, they don't become dangerous to us. Mm -hmm. uh, it, there's, obviously, we can't eliminate the risk. There's always, there's always risk, but giving us giving us more time and allowing us to make better decisions at least puts us in a better, gives us better chance at, yes. at not having technology overrun us, whether it's intelligent technology or other, or other technologies that have uh, unforeseen consequences. Louis, one thing that I'm always kind of interested in is not only the, the work of my interviewees, but also sort of their personal characters and, and sort of uh, traits, if you will, because I find them to be, kind of illuminating at least to some degree and relevant to, to our discussion of revealing sort of the person behind the work. So let me ask you this kind of perhaps unrelated question. You're a vegan, are you? I am. Yes. So why, why are you a vegan? Is that for ethical reasons or for health reasons or both? Uh, it's it's for ethical reasons, although the health benefits are. Um, and I believe I believe the health benefits are are real, uh, but for me it's ethical uh, in terms of uh, as somebody who who spent a long time thinking and looking at intelligence. It's it's very clear to me that uh, 
that the animal kingdom is full of intelligent creatures that have their own uh, their own emotions and their own uh, their own lives that are just as rich as ours. And in fact, uh, if you if you're an artificial intelligence researcher, you should be actually amazed and impressed with with the intelligence levels of of almost all animals that you interact with. And so, uh, if you respect intelligence and you're trying to emulate intelligence, uh, it seems wrong to to eat eat intelligences when there's when there are um, alternatives and and you can very easily uh, be even healthier if you're just if if you're eating a plant based diet. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, and and I have to admit that uh, it's one of my own personal character weaknesses in the sense that. I absolutely agree with you that from ethical point of view, uh, being a vegan uh, or at least vegetarian is the right thing to do. From health point of view, however, I am quite not convinced that may be the case yet. Uh, and, And so this is one of those very few rare things that I admit total character failure on my behind where... Usually I try to follow the ethical choice, uh, no matter the cost. And this is probably the only exception I can think of where I'm failing miserably uh, to live to my own ethics. And and that doesn't probably say many very good things about me. Uh, But hopefully those artificial super intelligences would have the same level of ethics that you are exhibiting. and, And they would kind of have the same empathy for us that you're showing for lesser intelligences. All right, that's actually a great, that's a great point, which is uh, we would hope that if, if an intelligence does exceed us, they don't, uh, they don't consume us for resources <laughs> the way exactly. we consume other, other intelligences as a resource. Right, right, absolutely. That's, that's, that's my hope. But let me move on to your company. So tell us a little bit about Unanimous AI. When did you start it? Uh, What's the team like? What's the sort of the, the work you do, the, the major products perhaps? Right. So, um, so we, we've uh, been working on this for almost two years. Um, our, again, our technology that we're developing, uh, we call artificial swarm intelligence, uh, but we're building it as a consumer-based platform that we call UNU. And, um, and the idea of our idea of UNU is to allow people to, to anybody to log into an environment that would look that looks very much like you would log into a gaming server or a chat room, but instead of just chatting with other people, you can actually form a collective intelligence with them. You can form a, a swarm, and you can ask and answer questions about anything. Mm-hmm. And so we have we've been uh, in beta testing with with lots and lots of users, and they'll come in and they'll ask questions and answer them collectively about sports or about politics or about uh, just big issues. Uh, we have futurology people coming in and talking about uh, about making predictions as a group about the future. There's lots of really interesting things that people can do by tapping into their combined knowledge and intuition and, and emotion. Uh, our team uh, is based mostly in the in the Silicon Valley area, but we're distributed in, in various locations. We have some folks on the East Coast um, and really are, are all of us on the team are, are really interested in, in creating an environment that will allow people to, to tap into the collective intelligence of groups, but, but make it available to everybody. 
make it and also make it fun. And one of the things that we found is that a a people find swarming you know, answering questions as a swarm to be really, to be fun and to be interesting and to be fascinating. We've also found that it, it has to be fun or we won't get people to do it. If, if our goal is to get, you know, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people to answer a question together in a swarm, if it's not fun, they won't do it. If it is fun, and it, then they're, they're happy to, to jump in and participate in these, uh, in these collective experiences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, let's, Try and start actually addressing and perhaps defining the main terms that pertain to sort of your work. So first of all, what is a swarm and how is it different from, the, from a crowd? Right. So um, uh, a swarm is, is basically a, a group of people, or it could be, I mean, swarm comes from nature. So it could be a group of, of uh, any type of uh, independent agent is what we would call them in, in, uh, in the AI world. But uh, it's, a, it's a group that will form a system that is actually a closed loop system, meaning they're, they, they are reacting to each other in real time. So they're, they're there, they're reacting to each other in real time. They're, they're able to negotiate and, and reach decisions in parallel. And so a decision will emerge from a swarm uh, typically, when people talk about a crowd, especially in the context of like the wisdom of crowds, it's usually they're usually taking a poll or taking a vote, and those are usually done what we would call asynchronously, meaning I can poll a thousand people and and do that independently to each of them. They have no interaction among themselves. They're not uh, pushing and pulling off each other. I'm going to just I'm going to get their discrete input from a thousand people, uh, not even at the same time. And I'm going to find the average, and I'm going to get uh, what basically is a snapshot of what that group thinks. And so a crowd is really analogous to a poll, and a swarm is really analogous to a system. And what's interesting is that a, a poll is very often polarizing, meaning <laughs> I, can t- I can take a poll of a population, and it will tell me the difference it will tell me exactly the differences among that population. It will tell me this percent of the population. Uh, thinks this and this percent thinks that. And in fact, if I publish that poll, all I will do is get that group to be more entrenched. And so the polls actually drive further polarization. And so it's actually a really bad way to tap the wisdom of crowds because what you're really doing is you're exposing the extreme views and even driving the extreme views. Mm -hmm. A swarm does the opposite. A swarm, as opposed to being polarizing, is actually unifying. It's asking a group to consider an issue together and actually negotiate in real time. They're pushing and pulling, and they're finding the solution that they can best, that the whole group can best agree upon. And so with a swarm, you might not reach the, you might not reach the decision that is the most popular, but you will reach the decision that the group can, can best agree upon, that the group can best accept, that actually maximizes the satisfaction of the group, as opposed to just taking, uh, as opposed to just taking the most popular answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, swarms and crowds are, are, actually, are actually pretty different. And from our perspective, swarms have the potential to actually uh, find, allow groups to find common ground, uh, whereas crowds tend to, to shift towards the extreme and have just one voice that drowns out every, everybody else. Mm-hmm. 
That's fascinating. So uh, your platform, as you as you said, it's called Unu, and, and that's a swarming platform. So tell us perhaps a little bit more uh, about your platform. Right. So um, how does it work, and so on? Exactly. So um, people, anyone can can log into Unu, and uh, and they they would be like log into a chat room or a, a gaming server, and they they get a username, and then they they jump in. And they can chat with everyone else who's in uh, in a particular swarm. And so, just like a chat room, which would have maybe you know a hundred different topics that people are chatting about, inside of Unu there could be a hundred different topics that people are swarming about. And they can go in and they can swarm, and then they can go in and they can chat, and then they they can also ask questions and answer questions to the whole group. And so, I might ask a question: um, Who's going to be the next president of the United States? And and now. Uh, the group can propose suggestions, and and then we we might have a group of we have six suggestions that we're going to then decide upon as a swarm, and the way we would decide upon it is uh, we we collectively move we collectively control a a pointer on the screen essentially, and we can all pull on it together to reach to to have it reach an answer, and but we're doing it in real time as a closed loop system so. We're pushing and pulling on each other. We're uh, it, we might all be in you know, reaching a stalemate where if everyone's pulling in a different direction, we're, we're going nowhere. And so what happens is people will switch their views in real time. And so if somebody switches their view uh, and somebody else switches their view, and, and it's all happening in real time, you'll find that solution very quickly that we can all agree upon, and we will we will experience it together. And a, a good way to, to understand it, because it's abstract, is just actually see see what it looks like. And so I can show you, if I can get this screen share to work, I can show you what, uh, sure. uh, let's see, desktop. It, it, it's one of those things that you actually have to see for yourself to kind of get the idea. So let's see if we can make the share screen work here for a second. Um, there you go. Okay, so can you see this? This is a uh, this is a swarm. It says which candidate appears to be the most presidential? And this was oh, asked yeah. to this was asked. Uh, this was a swarm of about a hundred people, I think, who are answering this question together. As you can see, they're controlling that glass puck, and every one of those magnets is another is a is a person working together, and they're pulling that puck together, and they get. Hillary Clinton. I see. And and I can ask. Uh, here's a here's a different example. And so here's an example where uh, we're at, we actually asked a group of people with very mixed uh, politics what should be the priority for Congress, which is a, a very tough question. And yet they quickly converge decision jobs. And what what happens is we see these decisions emerge very very quickly. But if we look at the data over time even if it's all happening over 10 seconds or 20 seconds, very sophisticated uh, negotiation is happening mm -hmm. where people are pulling towards one choice, realizing that their choice maybe is, is not going to be supported. They see the puck moving towards a choice that they dis really dislike. And so they, they go from pulling towards their first choice to defending against a choice that they dislike. But everybody's doing that together. So people are pulling towards, towards choices that they want, defending against choices they don't want, and quickly, an answer emerges that that maximizes the the sentiment and the satisfaction of the group. 
and so uh, here's a here's another example we can look at. Uh, so this was a we asked a group to be to predict. This was a, a couple months ago. The movies that were opening in a weekend, we asked them to predict what, what was going to be the most popular when it opens. And they uh, very quickly uh, decided on Ant Man, which mm -hmm. turned out to be turned out to be correct. And in fact, one of the things that we're finding is that groups swarms when they when they make predictions this way are actually astonishingly accurate and they're demonstrating intelligence that exceeds any individual member of the group which is really part of our our primary goal um, here's another example of how a swarm can uh, can make a decision and this is what's a, this is asking for an opinion and again uh, we're asking what's a fair price for a movie ticket an opinion and and here it's actually a, on a continuous scale and what we see uh, is the group comes up with $6.50. And what's astonishing is we've asked this same question to probably 50 different swarms of people. And every time it comes up almost exactly $6.50, which is this collective sentiment that maximizes the satisfaction uh, of a group. Wow. And so um, let me see if I can turn, I'll turn off the, the swarm because we, yeah. we've seen that. But um, we did a really, uh, really interesting uh, study that we published a few months ago to try to quantify are, you know, is a collective intelligence when it's working together as a system in a swarm smarter than the individuals who make it up. And so we asked a group to, to make a prediction. And uh, the reason we use predictions is at least we can, um, we can assess if they were right or wrong. And in this case, we asked them to predict the winners of the 2015 Oscars. And, and so we asked them to predict the top the top uh, 15 awards, which is really hard to do. And so we, we, and we did it two ways. Once we, we asked the, the group to first uh, give us their individual opinions in a poll, which, would, uh, which is basically going for the, the crowd approach. We asked them to, to give us their individual opinions in a poll, and then we took the most popular prediction as the answer of the crowd. And the crowd uh, was out of 15 uh, awards in the Academy Awards got seven correct. So seven correct out of 15, which was actually slightly better than the individuals did on average by themselves. So by themselves, if you weren't pooling the knowledge, individuals got six correct. But when you took the most popular, they got seven correct. So, so we did see that a like crowd was smarter than a swarm, a smarter than an individual. But then we had that same group answer the same question together in real time as a swarm. And they got 11 correct. So they went from seven correct as a crowd to 11 correct as a swarm. And to give you a point of reference, uh, the New York Times blog uh, made a similar predictions. and got nine correct. Mm -hmm. And so what we saw was a swarm of individuals who were not experts were actually able to match or even exceed the predictions of experts when they work together as a system. And, and what's fascinating is that uh, the swarm got 11 correct, and I think there were 70 individuals that we polled. Not a single one of those 70 individuals did better than the swarm. And so the swarm showed an intelligence that was, that was better than all of the individuals. And you can ask, well, how, did, how, did, how does it work? Well, what you're having is the, the knowledge and the intuition of these 70 people being combined in real time. And what's fascinating is that when we, when we asked the, the participants if they had seen all the movies in the, you know, that were up for the Oscars, nobody had seen all the movies. It's, it's pretty rare to have actually watch all the movies. In fact, some people had only seen a few of the movies. 
but when they're working together as a swarm, they're filling in the gaps in each other's knowledge. They're filling in the different, you know, they're compensating for the different biases that they might have. You know, some people might have heard, you know, a, seen a review of, of a movie here or seen a prediction uh, on, in, on a radio show. And so they're combining all the things that they've heard, all the things that they know, which movies they've seen, which movies they've not seen. They're just gut intuition. And when, they, when we pull it all together, they were able to make, again, 11 correct predictions uh, out of 15, which gives them expert, expert level intelligence from a group of novices who are not in any way you know, movie experts. And we see this again and again when we, when we field swarms and we ask questions and we tap into this combined knowledge and intuition uh, of, of a large group. That's absolutely fascinating. Uh, but let me ask you this. It's, it's, a it's a detail that you've made kind of an explicit choice on because you published a fantastic guest blog article on Singularity Weblog, which had probably like over 1,200 uh, social media shares. Um, and you talked about, you know, a variety of swarms, such as uh, a flock of birds or a school of fish. And yet your platform, UNU, is for some reason modeled after uh, honeybee swarms. Right. So why did you make that specific choice? I mean, aren't we closer on the evolutionary tree to birds and to fish rather than honeybees? Right. No, it's a great, uh, it's a great uh, question. And we can even just take one step back a little bit and say, you know, when you go all the way back on artificial intelligence research, which starts maybe you know, back in the 1950s, the first place everybody looks for when doing artificial intelligence is nature. And so we look to nature because you're trying to create an artificial intelligence and the real ones exist in nature. And starting back in the 1950s, the first path was uh, to develop the development of the perceptron, which turned into uh, artificial neurons, which turned into neural networks. And so neural networks are the primary way that most, most artificial intelligence research is being pursued right now. And it's a biological model. And what's, what's worth mentioning is that nature is not a one-trick pony. Nature actually has two ways that it creates intelligence, at least two. Maybe there's others that, that we don't know of, but it has neural-based intelligences, like our own brains, and it has swarms that biologists call swarm intelligence. And so swarm intelligence um, is where you, you have groups that are going to be smarter as a, as a collective than they are apart. And that is why uh, fish school, and that is why birds flock, and that is why bees, bees swarm. Now, if you look at schooling and flocking, uh, the primary benefits that, that we've at least identified thus far in, in flocks and schools is the ability of a group, of a, of a large group, to move together as one. It's really, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's amazing what schools and flocks can do, and they allow groups to, to, uh, to move as one, to evade predators, to, to uh, navigate uh, long distances, whether it's in the air or underwater. And so schools and flocks are, are amazing, and artificial intelligence researchers have looked at that for, for example, controlling drones, where they, you know, there's a lot of work about using schooling and flocking to control a, a group of drones, getting the same benefits. Now, when we look at intelligence and we look at, well, where do we see real, real evidence of, of amplified intelligence, it, the most fascinating place is honeybee swarms, because honeybee swarms aren't using swarming to, to move as a group. And, and I say that because honeybee swarms will fly 
basically as a flock, and that's a flocking behavior. But when we talk about swarming for honeybees, it's a decision-making process. Honeybees use swarming to make decisions, and they actually demonstrate uh, creation of a higher level of intelligence. And so let me give you an example of what honeybees do, because what, what it's, most people don't realize how amazing <laughs> honeybees are. And, um, and so you know, every, uh, every year a honeybee swarm will spawn a new swarm. And that new swarm has to go, uh, uh, that new colony, it has a new colony that will have to go out and find a new home. And so you'll have like 10,000 bees that, that will now need to go and leave a hive and find a new home. And that's a very dangerous uh, and important process. And they, they need to pick a, a home site. And so what they do is they send out a couple, uh, two to 500 scout bees that will, that will actually search a 30 square mile area looking for home sites. And they'll bring, they'll bring back to the swarm dozens of potential sites that um, that they found, and they bring and they can actually encode the position and the location of these sites in body vibrations. So they actually do something wow. called a they do something called a waggle dance, which encodes the act the exact location of these sites that they found. And then the swarm will go through a collective process using these waggle dances to select among a few dozen potential sites, and each of those sites is being evaluated across a, a, a whole bunch of different competing criteria. So they're gonna, they, when they pick a site, they need to, they need to decide, is it, does it have enough internal volume? Like a site might be like a hollow tree, right? So they'll say, you know, does that hollow tree have enough internal volume to store all the honey that they need for winter? Does that internal site have enough ventilation so they can keep it cool in the in the summer is that internal is that site uh insulated enough to keep it warm in the winter is it high enough off the ground from predators so a very complex decision i mean they're making this incredibly complex decision with lots of different factors and they do this collectively where about two to five hundred bees are doing this basically this waggle dance where they're all pushing and pulling on the decision very much modeled. I mean, that's what we modeled our, our swarm after how these bees push and pull on the decision. And what's one of the things that's inspired me is that um, some really amazing work has been done to study bees. Uh, there's a, a professor, Thomas Seeley uh, in Cornell, who, uh, who did painstaking work to, to literally track bees. And what he found was that they will, even though it's this amazingly complex decision, with picking sites across 30 square miles based on you know a dozen different competing criteria, they will pick the optimal site at least 80% of the time. So a group of, and this is a group of two to 500 bees can solve this very complex problem, make this complex decision. Now, no single bee among them could make this decision. A, a single bee does not have the intellectual capacity to make a decision like that. But when they're working together as a swarm, they've amplified their intelligence and they can make this decision that's beyond their own capabilities. And they make the best decision 80% of the time, which is an inspiration for us to say, well, can people see that same kind of benefit? If we can answer questions together, if we can, if we can form a swarm and make decisions, can we make decisions that exceed the ability of any one of, of our individuals? And you know, nature shows us that we, that should be possible. And that's, you know, when we see these predictions, like, the, like predicting the Oscars, we're saying, you know, it's, it looks like it's true. It looks like we can 
allow people to interact as a closed loop system and make decisions that are amplified, just like honeybees do when they make decisions that exceed their own individual abilities. That's that's totally, totally fascinating stuff. I, I, I was reading your paper here, which, by the way, I'm going to include a link to. It's called Human Swarming, a Real-Time Method for Parallel Distributed Intelligence. And it describes that in a few other fascinating cases that totally were revelation to me. I was never aware that bee behavior is so amazingly complex and intelligent at the collective level. It is, and it's, and it's a great example of, an, of essentially a an engineered intelligence. I mean, it was engineered over you know, millions and millions of years of evolution, but uh, it shows that nature has found more than just the neural method of building an intelligence. You can build an intelligence collectively. And, um, and what's also interesting is that bees, when bees achieve this level of intelligence, they're doing it with just 500 bees working as a collective. They're not doing it with, uh, a hundred billion neurons, which is, right. you know, you know, when we talk about artificial intelligence research, we, you know, we aspire to, to matching human intelligence and people often forget that inside of our brain are a are hundred billion neurons. And that problem, that challenge of building, building a, an intelligence from the neural level might actually be harder even than than we currently think. I mean, right now, people are very optimistic about neural networks. It kind of goes in waves. 10 years ago, people were very pessimistic. And then 10 years before that, people were very optimistic. Uh, and uh, you know, my personal view is that swarm intelligence is, has been neglected uh, for the last 50 years. And, um, and it's, it's just as amazing. And, and I think the reason it's neglected is that we you know, it, we naturally look to our own brain and we say, let's make an intelligence. We know our, we know our own brains and bees, like you said, are very foreign to us. We don't, we, we only recently do we even appreciate the amazing decisions that they can make and the amazing things that they can do. Uh, but uh, it, you know, the, the evidence is there in nature that you can amplify intelligence substantially if you, if you build systems uh, that can work together in you know in a closed loop in a closed loop manner where it's um, it's you know, biologists call it a superorganism uh, where they're basically thinking as one but but leveraging all the unique insights that come from all the different uh, all the different uh, elements that that bring bring information in. You've already kind of responded to this question, but I, I still want to ask it so that we have a more explicit answer because it's an audience question. And it goes like this. If collective intelligence is so great, then why stock markets are not that efficient? Why crowd does not get it right most of the time? Are humans really designed to swarm at the core because they get infected by each other's emotions and then act like lemmings? Islamic Jihad is a good example of the fact that humans can swarm, but that may not result in more intelligent actions. Right. No, it's a great question. And I mean, a lot of parts of the question. So you talk about stock markets and crowds and the fact that, um, you know, you very often have uh, basically a, a few leaders and a whole bunch of followers, lemmings. <laughs> uh, and if, for me, I like, to, I like to make another distinction between a herd and a swarm, uh, because there's a lot of behaviors out there that are that are more like herds, and you know, and there's you know, 
there's this old kind of uh, old saying that uh, a, a herd of sheep will will jump off a cliff. If you know, if one sheep jumps off a cliff, the whole herd will jump off. And it's actually based on truth. It really is true that uh, a single member of a herd can get startled, and then the whole rest of the herd will follow. And a herding behavior, in a lot of ways, amplifies noise because that first that first sheep or elk that gets startled might just run in a random direction and all the others follow based on this herding behavior. And it's adaptive for, uh, for prey animals just to, just to move based on you know, one, one creature sees a danger and then they all move, but it, it doesn't necessarily breed intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things that we look at out there and we say, well, why isn't it a collective intelligence? It's very often because it's, it's got elements of herding built into it. And a swarming is different. And so the, pro- the thing about a herd is that it, the, the, imp- the decision is made sequentially. Somebody makes a decision, and then it happens first. Others see that decision, and they... they, they jump they, on if, the bandwagon. Right, they jump on the bandwagon. And they, they jump on the bandwagon. There's actually a, there's a, a scientific name for it called social influence bias. And so, social influence bias is this fact that uh, if you... If you know what other people think, it has a great influence on what you think. And so we have all these, all these tools out there right now that are, that are amplifying social influence bias and are turning what could be a collective intelligence among us into basically a, a herd. And, is, and, and, uh, and I refer to like uh, the methods we have right now for online polling. So online polling... Uh, by and large, you make somebody puts an input in, and then everyone else can see it. And so, if you go onto Amazon, for example, you can rate something five stars, and everyone else who shows up later will see, oh, well, somebody rated it five stars. That's going to influence your decision when you come next. If um, if you go onto Netflix and you if you go onto to uh, to Facebook and you're doing things with upvotes, so upvotes and giving things five stars and giving things thumbs up and give are all deeply, uh, deeply influenced by social influence bias. And there was a study uh, out of MIT and University of Jerusalem uh, just uh, a year or two ago, which, which went to quantify the effect of social influence bias. And they used a, a model that was similar to Reddit, where uh, people can upvote, somebody can make a decision and people can upvote. And what they found was that the very first upvote that, that comes in has an over 30% influence on what the next person is going to vote. And it, by the end of the process, it, it influences the final decision by 25%. So there could be thousands. So some, the first person can give an upvote randomly. A thousand votes can come in, and that final decision is influenced 25% by that first, that first input. And that's, that's why we have these uh, these these decisions that are being amplified online that can be based on just random noise. You can have uh, a noise amplification where, you know, somebody gives something a five star and then it influences everybody else. And the, the type of system that does that where one, one vote can influence the next vote can influence the next vote is called an asynchronous system where, uh, and an asynchronous polling system, which is basically prevalent all across social media leads to hurting. What's different about swarming, to answer your question, is that it's synchronous. Everybody, 
everybody answers together in real time. There are no leaders. There are no followers. There's no decision that anyone is following. It's all just emerging together. And so you greatly reduce the social influence bias and you reach a decision that, that more truly reflects the signal as opposed to amplifying the noise. And you end up with uh, what's ideally a, um, a decision that's, that, taps, truly taps into the collective intelligence of the group, as opposed to tapping into the intelligence of the first few people who, who, put, who put input into the, to, uh, the voting system. So making the distinction between herding and swarming is, is crucial. It, it, it's very important. And, and I appreciate that very much because it kind of clarifies the, 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 the vital differences between the two. But let me ask you this. In your opinion, have you experienced a situation so far in your testing where uh, swarming has been wrong or didn't work in some way or another? Absolutely. So, um, you know, the thing about when you create a, uh, an artificial swarm of, of a group of people, and it could be 50 people, it could be 100 people, it could be 200 people, you, you can't, you're still you're still leveraging the knowledge and intuition and, and biases and experience of that group. And so, you know, you will, you could end up with a, you know, a swarm that takes on the personality of the participants. And so it could be, if I have, you know, if I have a swarm made up of a hundred college students, <clears throat> that that's basically an artificial intelligence that, that reflects the personality that's different than if I have a swarm that's, you know, that has a hundred senior citizens. <clears throat> They're both, you know, they both have their own, I mean, that's the thing about a swarm is that it can, it can express opinions. It can have, it can have intuition. It can, it has human feelings built into it. And so they're not all, they're not all identical. They're all different. And so you can have, we've seen uh, you know, a swarm that can be great at predicting football. And we've seen those, those swarms emerge. There might be other swarms that aren't great at predicting football. Uh, and so just like different people have different strengths and different weaknesses, we envision a world where different swarms have different strengths or different weaknesses. There might be a swarm that's really funny and it comes out with all, you know, we, some, pe some people are using swarms to do like uh, caption contests where they put a picture up and then they, they collectively come up with a caption. And there are some swarms that are just, they're really, really funny and other swarms that are really good at predicting football and other swarms that have really interesting political insights. And what we do inside the UNU platform is we allow a swarm when it reaches a decision to tweet that decision or to post that decision on Facebook or on Reddit or, and, and our hope is when this system, uh, goes live that swarms will get a following the same way a, a Twitter, you know, somebody who tweets gets a following. And so, and a swarm will emerge that if, if a swarm that's really good at predicting college basketball will, will emerge with a following because it's proven itself as that it's unique mix of, of, uh, of input makes really good predictions. And the swarms that, that don't prove themselves won't generate a following. And so in a lot of ways, we're really modeling intelligence because that's how, that's how intelligent creatures are. They're not all the same. Some intelligent creatures have strengths, some have weaknesses. It, it's based on how they're put together. And, uh, and we, we hope to see, you know, 
hundreds or thousands of different swarms of all different sizes with all different mixes of people demonstrating different strengths and weaknesses. And then, you know, the accuracy and the, the usefulness of what they come up with will be judged the same way the accuracy and usefulness of a person <laughs> is judged. Um, so it, it, but the short answer to your question is, yeah, you know, swarms, they're, you know, they're, they're smart, but they're not, they're not clairvoyant. <laughs> they're, you know, they, but what we do, but with all that said, the one thing that we do always see, regardless of how, how good or bad a swarm's answer is, it's almost always better than the, than the individual predictions of, the, of those who make it up. And so even if I have a swarm of people who aren't really good at predicting football, the swarm is still better than those individuals. It's just that those individuals happen to be terrible. Right? Um, whereas if I take a, a group of people who are good at predicting football, the swarm will be even better than that. And so you can, you can imagine this idea of, well, what if you create a swarm of experts? A swarm of experts can create a super expert. And, and those are the types of things that we're really interested in exploring. Um, that's, that's actually one of the things that's on our horizon is looking at, you know, can we get, uh, can we field swarms of experts and see if we can, we can achieve uh, a super expert? Yeah, this is totally, totally fascinating work, and which is, of course, why I wanted to have you on my show. But let me ask you this. What's the most surprising thing that you have learned about swarming? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I think and this, is, this, this might not sound that exciting, but the, to me, the most surprising thing is how much people like to do it. And, and maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but you know, one of the big questions for me when we first started working on it because this started out as a research technology, and then we said, well, let's make this available to just average people. And the big question was, will average people want to swarm at all? If they don't want to swarm, then they won't do it. And what's fascinating is that people love to do it. They think it's fun. They think it's fascinating. They actually feel more connected to all the other people who are doing it. They actually feel a sense of unity with this group, and so it creates community in a new way. And so it was very surprising to me, and yet if you look back at the social science research, you really shouldn't be surprised because people are tribal creatures and we're, we're hardwired to want to be connected in that way. And it's a very similar reason why you know, people like to play team sports because they're connected intimately with other people. People like to play in a symphony because they're playing music with a whole bunch of other people in a you know, synchronized, deeply connected way. Uh, you know, things from, uh, from, in fact, it, it actually goes all the way back to, to military research. Uh, and militaries have known this for a long time, that they have, they have people march in, in step, uh, not because armies have any value of marching. Mar and maybe, maybe a few hundred years ago, but, they, but marching just creates a feeling of, of unity among, among people. People like to feel like they're part of a group they like to feel intimately connected with, with a group. And if, if what's fascinating is that in the current world of social media, which we call social, most of that is people passing notes to each other offline. Like I can post something on Facebook and somebody else will go up, you know, give it a thumbs up, you know, the next day. But we're not really synchronized. We're not really there at the same time. There's not really a sense of unity. But when we let people come into UNU and they're there together in real time and they're considering the same question and they're all deciding together, you know, who's going to be the next president of the United States, whether or not it, the answer was their first choice or not, they feel connected to the other people and they actually also feel like they have more buy-in to the decision. 
because they were part of it in real time. And, um, and so it's, I think, so the short answer to your question is the thing that surprises me most is really, you know, in theory, yes, this, you know, this should, this should be connect with the basic way humans are built. But in reality, it's really true. People, people really do feel this sense of, uh, unity when they're, when they're interacting with people in, together in real time. And, uh, you said that, uh, Others can test your platform. Tell us how is that going to work? If, if for example, other researchers want to uh, give it a try, right? So any researcher who who uh, any researcher who wants to uh, create their own account on the system can do that now. It's just at uh, it's just unu.ai is the site, and um, and researchers can can use it to you know to field their own swarms and test, you know, test swarm intelligence themselves. And uh, there's a number of researchers out there who are, who are currently looking at that. And you know, we, you know, we're excited to have as many people out there as possible, you know, really testing the, the limits of what swarms can do. How smart are swarms? How, you know, how well is a swarm able to create an optimized decision among people. And so it's definitely available out there for researchers. It's also available out there for just for average people who want to come in, and just use it. We have people who are interested in fantasy football, for example. And you know, fantasy football people have a lot of decisions to make, and they take it very seriously. And so they you know, they can come into UNU, they can create a swarm, and they can ask a question, and they can get really uh, really smart answers. And um, and the predictions keep turning out to be again very accurate and more accurate than the individuals would make. In fact, we had a group um, that that formed a swarm before the Super Bowl and they wanted to test the intelligence of that swarm. And so they, they figured they, they, they'd look for, they picked 20 prop bets that had Vegas odds. And the thing about prop bets is that they're, you know, they're, the Vegas odds make them work out to 50, 50. So they should be, you should have, and they said, well, can they beat the Vegas odds? And so they, they, uh, they made, they placed, they placed 20 prop bets as a swarm and uh, and they came out twenty five percent ahead on their on their returns because they really were smarter together than individuals. And the thing that's crazy about prop bets is some of the some of those bets are really silly. Like one of the bets was you know what color Gatorade will get poured on the coach at the end. Well, you know, is there can you really be intelligent and come up with that answer? Well, maybe if you have fifty people who all have some sense of intuition of what they've seen on previous games and and what maybe they can beat the odds by combining their knowledge and intuition. So, um, but, you know, for most people, it's just fun. It's fun to be able to see, you know, to see can a swarm uh, come up with uh, a good prediction or a good decision, uh, or I mean, we've had groups use it to make really kind of mundane decisions, like where should we go for dinner? And so that's, a, that's actually a fascinating, that's a problem that everyone faces. Where should we go for dinner? And it's, if, you have, you know, if you have six people trying to decide where you're going to go for dinner, that's, that's tough. And so, an example, so one example that, I, that was fascinating was we had a group say, where should we go for dinner? And they, they, could, they each suggested a different alternative. And so they had you know, Chinese food, Mexican food, Indian food. And, uh, and then the swarm starts to answer. And what was interesting is if you just took a vote, in this particular case, if you just took a vote and say, where should we go for dinner? You take a vote. In, in this case, two of the people voted for Indian food and the other people were all split among the other options. And so if you took a vote and you took the most popular answer, they would have gone to Indian food. 
What that didn't account for was the fact that some of those other people just hated Indian food. And so uh, it, it would have created a situation where there were very, uh, where a number of unhappy people, if that was the answer. When, we did, when they did it as a swarm, what happened was two of the people were pulling to Indian food. The others were split. So the puck started moving towards Indian food. But when the swarm saw the puck moving towards Indian food, those people who were pulling towards other options, somebody, you know, somebody who was pulling towards Chinese food said, yeah, I wanted Chinese food, but I cannot live with Indian food. So they changed their strategy from pulling for Chinese food to defending against Indian food. And then somebody else did this. Somebody who was pulling for Italian food might have done, done the same thing, also changed their strategy. And so everybody's changing and moving in real time. And so that most popular answer, which maybe would have gone to Indian food, actually suddenly stops and suddenly starts moving to, in another direction. And all these types of, uh, of negotiations are happening in real time. And it then went to Italian food. And then if you pull the group after and you say, you know, are you satisfied with that answer of Italian food? Yes, the group was more satisfied with the answer of Italian food because it, 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 it meshed with the desires of the whole group better than a simple vote that is, is a popularity contest. And so there's, so swarming can do, you know, can, is really interesting for making simple decisions like where should we go for dinner to complex predictions of who's going to win the Super Bowl. And, um, and again, and it's not, a, shouldn't be a surprise because creatures as simple as bees can make a far more complicated decision than where should we go for dinner. They could decide where their home should be. And they and in fact, it's a life or death decision for bees. If they, if they pick the wrong site, they could all die. And yet nature has found that swarming is the way for them to make that decision and find the optimal find the optimal answer and not reach a stalemate because a stalemate is also death for a group of bees, right? So they, uh, the thing about swarming is they, they all get buy-in during the process. And so then at the end of a swarming process for bees, they'll all go fly off to the same site. They won't just all fly off in different directions. It, it would be as if the group, you know, a group of people said, you know, well, you guys can go to Indian food. We're going to Italian food. See ya. And, uh, and what swarming does is it actually gives everyone buy-in so they don't feel like, oh, they feel like, yeah, they were all heard. And we found the decision that really we can all agree on. That's totally amazing. The repercussions of that kind of a decision-making process are profound, I think. <laughs> but one thing that's very important clearly is the interface. Yes. And so I think that's where your kind of greatest innovation lies in, in kind of translating what you've observed in, let's say, the swaggle dance uh, uh, in the bee swarm into a kind of a platform that mimics or, or, or allows for that behavior and outcome to, to happen in a dynamic sort of non-biasing kind of a manner. But let me ask you this. So you're currently doing that through a kind of a computer mouse interface and so on, which is the classic interface. But are you familiar with the brain-to-brain -brain computers that, for example, Professor Miguel Nicolilis is working on? Right. So, so, so absolutely. So we currently, as you saw in the, in the demo that we showed, um, we, uh, people can use a mouse to control, the, they control that little magnet. Um, <clears throat> you can also use a touch screen, which is, um, which for some people they, they like better, they can put their finger on a, on a touch screen. Uh, but we've looked at a, a whole bunch of different types of interfaces and, um, and a, basically a, 
a neural interface is something that we've also looked at and, and pondered, and we think that that's also viable and interesting. Um, our focus right now on our focus right now is to to get lots of people to to form swarms, and so we're trying to make it as you know use the most commonly available interfaces possible. But um, but it's definitely fascinating to think about you know using using all kinds of interfaces, whether it's um, you know, we've looked at eye tracking, we've looked at, um, you know, EKG type of things. And all of those are possible and interesting and, and potentially long-term could be the way people want to do it. Um, right now, you know, just with the mouse or a touchscreen, it, it works really well. And, you know, in the video that I showed, um, you saw the little magnets that people can pull on the puck. And what's important about it and what's, what's interesting is it, it models the thing about um, about swarms. Actually, both swarms and brains. Because swarms and brains are actually very similar. They're both a collection of of individual units that um, that produce an activation signal. In the case of a bee swarm, the activation signal is a, a waggle dance, and it has different levels of intensity. And a more intense uh, waggle dance is a, a higher level of activation. In a brain, it's you know a neuron will have an activation signal. And what you have in both of those is basically all of these signals uh, working in parallel and a, and a decision emerging. But what happens is that those, dis those signals have to be maintained over time. They're not just a single, a single signal, but they have to be maintained over time, which is why we used the magnet metaphor and the fact that, that people have to pull on the magnet. And what happens is if the puck starts moving away from the magnet, you're get, your magnet's getting further, and so your signal is getting less. And so you have to actually keep the magnet, you have to actively be engaged the whole time to keep the magnet next to the puck for the signal to be maintained over time. And what we find is that some people, if they're, if they're really confident in their answer, will work really hard to keep the magnet next to the puck. If they're less confident, then they, the magnet might drift a little bit further away. And so what we're seeing is, we're capturing different levels of conviction from all the different people. And it's these different levels of conviction combined with their different levels of knowledge and expertise that, that allows this, this unique mix that gives, that allows them to reach an optimal decision. And, um, and so, yeah, so the interface, lots of interfaces are possible, but they have to have this subtlety of allowing, of, of forcing people to maintain their focus across the decision for their activation signal to be counted uh, fully. And, and, and let me ask you this then, does that mean that arguably the logical and perhaps ultimate culmination of this kind of a process of evolution of the swarming and the interfaces and the brain-to-brain -brain communication and so on will result probably in all of us kind of becoming the Borg? So I mean, it's uh, I mean the Borg is obviously the the most negative uh, connotation that you could imagine for collective intelligence, and they're the uh, perfect swarm, aren't they? Um, possibly. I mean, it's 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 a little bit hard to know what the how, what the individuals contribute in in a Borg because it's science fiction. But uh, I you know I would again look to nature as opposed to to science fiction in that if we look at if we look at um, like a bee swarm, the, the individual bees that are participating in the decision 
are actually the 200 to 500 most senior bees who have the most knowledge and most, most experience. And they're the bees who go out and actually search the, the environment. And so they're, they're finding collective decisions, but they're not minimizing the participants. They're actually, the, those, they want those participants to be uh, intelligent explorers who go out and collect information as opposed to being automatons. And, and I say that because people often refer to the Borg as a hive mind, and, and, and they use the word hive pejoratively, and it's often because people, are, people have a misconception of, of what a, how a hive works. People often think, okay, there's 10,000 drone bees, and they all just follow the orders of a queen bee who has a directive, and then they all kind of work, and, and really that's not how it works at all. So a queen bee has no input in the decisions of a hive, and in fact, it's uh, the 10,000 drone bees aren't part of the decision either. It's, it's you know, 200 to 500 of the most senior scout bees who have the knowledge that make the decision. And so, at least in the case of nature, the, the, optimal, the optimal type of collective intelligence is one where you have a, a group of individuals who are skilled and who are diverse and who bring different opinions back and, and they basically consider those opinions and negotiate in real time. And so, yes, they, they will come to a decision that they can all agree upon, but they're not all saying the same thing. They're not all thinking the same thing. It's not group think. Which, uh, which really would be you know, a group just taking a poll and everyone following the, you know, a few leaders. It's really uh, a group thinking together and, and really negotiating thoughtfully and coming to, an, coming to a solution that is the best for the group and, and takes advantage of all their different opinions, all their different, uh, all their different knowledge, uh, so I have a I have a more optimistic view of what the what the future could be, but of course you know, uh, you know the science, the, you know you have to you have to be mindful of the kind of the, the dystopian science fiction visions because those are the things that we need to work against. Those are the things that we need to we need to push towards technologies that allow for uh, a group to behave as an ethical collective intelligence, not a you know a a drone based mob. And you know, that, so. Louis, unfortunately, time is advancing here. So I only have uh, a couple of two or three more questions. Uh, so the, the first one is, what is the biggest misconception about your work that kind of perhaps is really bugging you and you want to clarify once and for all? Right. Well, I don't know if it's a misconception, but we, you know, we think about our work in the, in the, in the hierarchy of artificial intelligence. And, uh, and sometimes people say, well, there's people involved, it's not artificial, right? And, and I understand that reaction. And the, th the thing is people can't swarm, right? So if people don't have the natural ability to swarm, and so what we do is we're using software um, and, and some artificial intelligence techniques to allow people to form sw these artificial swarms and when we're creating an intelligence. And this intelligence is different than any individual among them. We're creating this new emergent intelligence. And we de so we definitely see it on this spectrum of, of artificial intelligence. The difference is, is really simply which type of natural intelligence are we modeling? Most artificial intelligence work is modeling neural-based intelligences, and that's great. 
we're artificially modeling swarm-based intelligences, but the, the intelligence that emerges, in our view, is a purely artificial intelligence. It might have a personality that's unique and different than any individual who comprises it. It might have a level of intuition or level ability to make predictions that exceeds any individual who comprises it. And so we do believe that it is, it is a true artificial intelligence, but we're very proud of the fact that people are in the loop. We don't, we don't apologize for that fact. We, again, as we said, our hope is that that's the safer, the safer approach to building smarter systems is to actually have those smarter systems have you know, human emotions and human values and human sensibilities as an integral part of the system. That's, uh, I'm sorry about this. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's, that's absolutely amazing. And I cannot stop thinking about the potential for, let's say, the, the wider, let's say, political implications that any kind of decision making process of that kind would, would, would have over our democracy and our form of government and, and, and sort of everything along those lines. It's totally fascinating and profound. But let me ask you this. Uh, what's the best place for people to follow you and your work? Right. So uh, they, can, they can find out about uh, our, our company and our work at uh, Unanimous AI. Just unanimous.ai is our website. And um, we have a blog on Unanimous AI that talks about all the various studies that we do and new swarms that we do and the questions that we ask swarms. Also, if you go to unanimous.ai, you, if people want to sign up to be a beta user of the UNU platform, they can, they can just uh, send in their name and we can give them a password and they can go in and they can try swarming for themselves. Uh, the UNU platform is at UNU, UNU.ai. And if you go to uh, UNU.ai, you can, you can go there. You, you need a beta password, which we're happy to, to give people and they can request it from that site as well. But for us, you know, Anyone who's certainly an enthusiast about about future technologies uh, are great users because they they think they they have interesting feedback for us and they're they're interesting contributors to these type of swarm decisions. We had a group last week that was uh, making all kinds of interesting predictions about uh, about self driving cars because these were all futurology and people who are interested in futurology and they were you know they wanted to ask the question you know are people going to be comfortable getting in a car that, uh, that doesn't have a steering wheel potentially and is driving at highway speeds. And we can all have our own prediction, but it's fascinating when you see a, a hundred people thinking as one making that kind of prediction. And so it's great to get you know, people who are interested in, in helping make those kinds of predictions, or maybe they're interested in f- fantasy football <laughs> um, or, or politics, but uh, yeah, but we're, you know, Beta users are now kind of, we're now at the point where we're signing up beta users and people are having fun seeing what it's like to swarm. And if people are academic researchers, uh, even better, we're happy to support them to do their own studies of, of swarms. Fantastic. And uh, the last question that I always ask of my guests on my show is, what's the final message? What's perhaps the one thing, the most important thing that you would like our viewers to take away from this conversation with you today? Right. I think it's that um, that groups of people are smart. <laughs> groups are smart, and we have we have just scratched the surface in tapping into the value that groups of people have if we can if we can use technology to to combine their knowledge and intuition. 
and um, and swarming is a way to do it. It's the way nature tells us that we we could best leverage that. And so, uh, you know, a great way for people to appreciate that is to try it for themselves. So again, we're we're happy to have beta users who want to see what it's like to be part of a swarm. Dr. Louis Rosenberg, thank you very much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you.